be reading through it and taking a look at the entire psalm. And uh, the slide up here, right? Mind of a disciple. So we had ramen last week and we had uh, our regular service before that and we were actually looking at this slide here. And we were talking about um, a disciple. We were talking about like what that means, what the implications are. And actually, specifically that week, we were talking about um, what it means to actually uh, the cost behind being a disciple. Like, what is that? How much is like God asking for? What is Jesus saying? And why is He saying that? Is it reasonable? Is it unreasonable? Um, and then my intent was to then after Ramen, which would be this Sunday, after Ramen, is to talk about well. What are some of the rewards? Like, what's on the other end of that cost for a disciple? And I was actually going to take a look at a passage um, in the New Testament, but I couldn't get this particular psalm and this particular man in this psalm out of my head for the past couple of weeks. And um, so I wanted to take a look at him because in his mind, what he's dealing with and what he's struggling with and what he's going through is definitely... Um, what happens in the mind of a disciple. Technically, you really wouldn't classify the man we're going to read about. You really wouldn't classify him as a disciple because disciples are really just ones that followed Jesus and wanted to um, follow his teachings because he was like the rabbi, the Messiah. And so the term disciple didn't really come into play until Jesus did. So in the Old Testament, eh, you really wouldn't really use the term. In fact, I think disciples only use like one time in the book of like Isaiah. But the guy we're going to read about, he's a sold out, Bible banging, praise song singing, believer in God. And he's going through some stuff. And so uh, I wanted to take a look at some of that this morning. So let's open up in prayer and then we'll take a look at this guy, what he's dealing with and what's going on. So Lord, we ask that you bless our time of Bible study together. Father, uh, the things that he's going to deal, that he's going to talk about, and the things that he struggled with, Lord, it's stuff that we all deal with and struggle with. And Lord, um, we ask you, Father, um, to not just see situations for how they are, Lord, but I pray that we would be able to see situations as you see them. Father, help us to get beyond what we see, think, or feel, Lord. Help us to get beyond that, Father. It's so difficult. It's such a challenge. But we pray this morning, Lord, that you just uh, give us an ability to do that, Father. And as we grow closer to you, that you give us a greater ability to do that, Lord. Then eventually, we're not living in the moment. We're living for eternity, Lord. So God, I just ask that you bless this time, that you bless the message, Lord. May I encourage our hearts this morning. And may you uh, bless the kids downstairs, Lord, as they learn another lesson and give patience and understanding to our nursery workers next door, Lord. And in Jesus' name, amen. One other reason I like this guy, which is very interesting, uh, the way this is laid out, is because in the Bible, in the Bible, a lot of it's narrative. You know, it's kind of like a, a story's being told, events are happening, things are taking place. So a guy went here, then he went there, maybe he got healed, maybe there was a demon, 
maybe he made a wrong decision. Maybe they made a good decision. They went to this town, that town, all that kind of stuff. It's pretty rare when you go through the Bible and you actually get a picture and a portrait of the struggle, the internal struggle inside, we'll say, of a disciple or inside of a believer. It's very rare. Like, wouldn't it be nice to maybe have like a diary of Jesus and be like, man, what was the stuff, you know, he was struggling with? And like, how did he handle it? And where was the struggle going on there? Because when you go through the Gospels, it's, it could be tempting to just see it and see, oh, he's Jesus, he's part God, he knew the right thing, he just did it. Boom, knocked it out. Not necessarily. said that in Hebrews, he was tempted in every way, just like us. He had struggles, just like us. Things were not just easy. And we know this because in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the rubber hit the road... And it was literally his moment. He prayed everything he could to get out of it. So if he's just Jesus, he just always does the right thing. Nah, that's not the case. And man, he prayed so hard to get out of it. It said that he was praying and it was like drops of blood flowing from him. I don't know last time he prayed that hard was, but that's some hard prayer time. Prayer sweat. That's intense. That's the last time you wore a headband when you were sweating. I mean, praying. It's crazy. So, this passage is really cool because it takes a look at the, it really is the mind of a disciple, the mind of a believer, like what he's going with, what's going on, and how things kind of turn around. So, let's take a look at it. His name is Asaph. Everybody say Asaph. 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 When Travis and Ashley were having their son, they, they wanted an A name. Hey man, what's up with Asaph? You know, what about what about Asaph? And uh, I think he considered it for like a half a second, and then I said, "Yeah, thanks, but no thanks." So Asaph. Now, in your bonus question in your uh, bulletin, there it says, uh, "Who are the three worship leaders King David appointed? Who are the three worship leaders that King David appointed?" Now we don't have our worship team going yet. Coming soon. Coming soon. But not yet. We're practicing. But soon we'll have our worship team. We'll have our instruments. Right? We'll have the singers. The whole thing. King David, when he was king over Israel, he set up a pretty advanced, um, a very nice worship team with just people equipped with all kinds of instruments, uh, thousands of people involved. And there was three main guys that headed this up. One guy we're reading about now, Asaph, and the other two guys you get to look up for homework. Isn't that fun? So, I say that to tell you that this is not like your um, just, quote-unquote, got-saved Christian. Just changed his life around. He's been in the game for a little while. He has some experience. In fact, his experience... His experience consists of coming to church and setting the tone for how church goes. So that's one thing I'm looking forward to when we actually have a real life worship team is because it's not like clicking a button. It's like there's something organic that will then set the tone for the rest of the service. And it's not to say you can't worship, right, with DVDs or song in the car, whatever, you definitely can, but there's something definitely different 
about praise that just rises up within the men and women of the church and it has the freedom then to go different places or maybe you can't do that with a DVD or a song or whatever. Sometimes you just got to sing that chorus for the next six or seven minutes and let that thing just sit in. Or sometimes you just want to be on your knees or on your face for the next two or three minutes and not say a word. Sometimes that's just the way it goes. So Asaph, that's like where he's coming from. He's familiar with encountering God and being around God and bringing praise to the people. So let's see what's going on here. This guy has some dilemmas. He has some dilemmas. Here we go. Psalm 73. It says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Okay. So we got to pause because this psalm is about to take a very different direction than what we just read. It's like he's going through it right now, like the Latulup family is going through it, or maybe you're going through it, whatever it is. And when it's all falling apart around, and you're even at a loss to, to, to like think of a Bible verse or come up with a song, it's just sometimes you just come back to, well, God is good and I'm trying to follow him. I think he loves me. Like you just get to a place sometimes where you're just at your wit's end. You don't really have anything else. So you have to remind yourself that God is good. That's what he's about to do because now we're about to get into his mind and see where this thing is going. So he's trying to remind himself, okay, okay. Surely God is good to Israel. Or surely God is good to believers or Christians, right? We can substitute the word Christians for Israel. To those who are pure in heart. Verse 2. Let's take a look. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. What? What's going on here? This guy's leading thousands of people into worship. He's like the... Chris Tomlin, he is like the, um, I don't know who you like for a worship uh, leader. There's tons of them. Um, whoever you like, substitute that name in there, who's ever famous, whoever. He's like that guy leading the nation, leading people in worship. So he says, I'd almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Why? Well, here we go. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So he's about to go down, slip, lose his foothold. Why? He envied the arrogant when I, and in my Bible I have circled that three-letter word, S-A-W, saw the prosperity of the wicked. He's about to slip and go down when he's consumed by what he sees. It even happens to worship leaders. It even happens to pastors. It even happens to whoever you think it would not happen to. It happens actually quite a bit. When you get consumed by what's around you, by what you see, by what you think, by what you feel, and then all of life's, life starts to get interpreted, and even God starts to get interpreted by what I am seeing, thinking, and noticing in my surroundings. That's where this guy's at. So the struggle 
started when he was looking, when he was dominating by what he saw. And we're going to see now verses 4 to 13. This struggle dominated his thinking and it got him isolated. So it did two things. It dominated his thinking and it got him isolated, which the enemy loves to do. If he can consume us with what just happens here in my little sphere, in my little world, and then if he can also get me to now just be my myself with my thoughts in my little world and be isolated from everybody else, I might as well be a punching bag. You might as well be a punching bag because he's coming with haymakers. That's what he wants to do. So let's see how this progression of now what he saw translates to crazy thoughts, translates to like a depression-like state where this guy's going to be in, to where he's about to throw in the towel for good. Anybody can relate to that thought process? I put two hands up because I can definitely relate to that process. God, no. Like, as soon as I surrendered to you, it all got more difficult. Things became more challenging. If I left you out of the equation, well, at least we can figure out a way. You just seem to complicate things. This is like where this guy's coming from. The worship leader is coming from. For thousands of people. So let's see. When he saw the prosperity, verse uh, 3, right? For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Here's what it was like in his eyes. They have no struggles. Their bodies, they're healthy, they're strong, right? They eat good food, they get to go to the gym, right? They're looking good. Maybe even their spouses are looking good. The relationship seems to be great. Verse 5, they're free from the burdens common to man. They're not as stressed out as I am. They don't have to go through the struggle that I have to go through of thinking about, am I going to put 10% in that box? Am I going to be generous to so-and-so? It's not even on their radar because they don't care. They're just thinking about where to spend their next paycheck for the next vacation. Which vacations aren't bad. I'm just saying they're just consumed with one thing and one thing alone. It says they are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace and they clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity or comes sin. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. It says they scoff and they speak with malice or with bad intent. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Right? So they're arrogant. They're prideful. They're just consumed really about their life, their needs, their plans, their ambitions. If you get in a way, guess what? You get run over. Right? Or you get manipulated or you get lied to because they're going where they want to go. It says verse 9, Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Lay claim to heaven. They think it's all going to work out good in the end for them. And their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. So people are also, quote, thinking and noticing, hey, they got no troubles. They don't involve God. Everything seems to be, well, maybe not perfect, but at least maybe better than when God was involved. 
And so if I can live my life and keep like these absolute truths and these strict rules from God out of the picture, you get a pretty decent following. A lot of people want to listen to that because that would mean, of course, minimal sacrifice on our end and certainly nothing radical. So it says they drink up these waters in abundance. People want to listen to this stuff. Verse 11, they say, How can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? It says this is what the wicked are like when he sees these things, right? When Asaph sees this. This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. Here's where he goes. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. He says, all day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. So verse 13 kind of sums it up, right? Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. So he's like, man, all this Christianity and God at the center stuff, what is it worth when I look around and I see it seems like they are healthy and strong, they have groceries in their fridge, they can pay their bills on time, their family seems fairly healthy. Nobody's got the perfect family, but at least they seem fairly healthy. Their kids seem decent. What am I doing? I am struggling. My car broke down on the way to church. Right? Like, this is what this guy is saying. Like, what am I doing? Why would I be saving myself for marriage? You know what I mean? Sexually. Why, why would I, like, be committing my finances unto him when it seems like he just keeps taking? Why? That's where he's at. That's where we get when we just look around, right? When we just look around. So here's what I wrote down. It says Asaph, right? He got caught up in thinking about what he could get from God instead of why he served God. That's a big time statement. He got caught up in thinking about what he could get from God instead of why he served God. So what can I get from God? So if I become a Christian and involve him in my life, now what do I get out of him? Just reward focused. And if those rewards or maybe expectations don't get met, well then, right, we become disheartened and um, maybe um, we become uh, you know, sad about that and discouraged and frustrated and it's only a matter of time before we call it quits. But, if our focus on why we are serving God, it makes the other stuff a little bit less important. Here's what I mean. I wrote this down from a Bible commentator this past week. He says, we don't serve God because of what we get out of it, but because He is worthy of our worship and service regardless of what He allows to come into our lives. That's good stuff. We don't serve God because of what we get out of it, but because He is worthy, because He is just God. He is just God. Because He owns the universe. He created the whole show. It's all His on His terms. But because He is worthy of our worship and service regardless of what He allows to come into our lives. 
See, that's the disciple. That's further than just saying a prayer and hoping God will somehow be involved in our lives and to some degree. The disciple has this mindset that regardless of what he allows to come into my life, he will receive and get my praise and glory and honor regardless because he is who he says he is. And ten people are going to get dunked and are saying that. And maybe you have said that in your life. And of course it doesn't mean that you're going to carry that out perfectly and never fight with God on that. Very often I look at Jaren, my son, and I'm like, man, I am like no different a lot of times when I come before my father. (laughs) Kicking and screaming and the tantrum thing on the floor. Like rolling over. What is that? You know what I mean? But I'm sure the angels, and they see me, and maybe he's put a difficult person in my life. Or a difficult situation in my life. And I'm like, Lord, get rid of this. Or if I'm feeling maybe really spiritual, I command this to leave in the name of Jesus. Right? And he's like, no. You know, like, I'm also, like, you're part of, you're part of the vine, like the vineyard. Like, I prune you. I, I clean you. Sometimes I cut things off, but it's for your benefit. Sometimes I let the other stuff burn away. So I would the right stuff, the things that are holy, the things that are more like me, the work that I can do can rise to the top. And I'm like, Lord, no, I don't want it. Da, 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 da. I remember even being at my job, you know, currently. I remember praying in the beginning, God, get me out of here. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be talking about, you know, polynomials first thing in the morning. Like, I... Now my prayer has changed because God has changed my heart. And my prayer now has changed into, Lord, let me invade this place with your gospel. Let me invade these kids with your gospel so the enemy just wants to get me out of here because the damage is too great. I would have never even thought of that like seven years ago. I'm on the horizon. It's like, nope, I got to do this stuff for God like over here. And God's like, no, I placed you here handle it there's things I gotta work on with you here that I can't do with you over there but if I was just and as Asaph and as we are just consumed with what we see and with what we feel and with what we think we're in trouble cause this ain't it this ain't the whole story So let's see what happens with Asaph. Verse 15, he said, If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. He says, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. So when he was in the position he was in, leading thousands in worship, and trying to set the tone to praise God, he said, I can't even tell other people about this because... I'm going to like maybe lead some people astray. So what the enemy did is he got him to see all his surroundings, get defeated by that, and then what the enemy did is he said, look, you can't even tell anybody now. And now the guy's just a mess. And he does the same thing with us. That's why Christian community, Christian brothers and sisters, 
C.C. Naugatuck, right, is so important. Can't get by ourselves. That's where we become the enemy's punching bag. Got to stay together. Verse 17 is the good news verse. It changes. The whole situation changes. Everything changes. What happens in verse 17? It says, Till, those, that's a great word, Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. All of the sudden, what he saw was not really how it is. It all changed when he entered into the sanctuary of God. And when you look up the word sanctuary in the original language, it means sanctuary. It just means his holy place. When he got into church, something changed and it begins with a P and ends with an E. It is perspective. The perspective was not just solely based on what he could see, think, or feel. When he came into church, when we come into church, something supernaturally happens where the Holy Spirit, for those of us that have committed our lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit opens up our minds, our ears, our eyes to say, hey, I know it seemed like this, but here is what your Father is doing. Or, the Holy Spirit might say, I can't tell you what what He's doing, but He'll just give you a piece about what is going on. Like it's not just all chaotic and out of control. It's passed through the fingers of a God who lovingly cares for us. Right? Perspective. It all changed when He got around God's people. And I'm not suggesting or saying that this building or just a church can just automatically bring that because it can't. But being around His presence and where His presence resides can. So I wrote down three words. Presence changes perspective. Presence changes perspective. So when we're in our cars and we are driving and we maybe switch over to some different music or we shut the music off and we choose to spend time in His presence or in my classroom and I should be grading stuff but I'm like, ah, you know, I can feel the Lord tugging at my heart. I lock the door, you know what I mean? And get in prayer mode and get in His presence. Or you lock yourself in your cubicle or in your truck or wherever you are. Get into His presence and it changes the perspective. I don't know how He does it. But He does it. And it happens supernaturally. And it does not happen with those that do not fellowship with the Lord. Otherwise, like the other end of that, if you try and leave God out of the equation, the other side is just being really optimistic and trying to look on the brighter side. But guess what? There's not always a brighter side. Many times, all times, there's a holier side. The holier side is never even considered if God isn't part of the equation. So how can you look for the brighter side? How do you know when it's good and how do you know when it's bad? Hard to say. Because who knows what God is really up to. The 
perspective changes everything. It's like being downtown, being among cities, you know, and you're downtown, and you're like, look around. Like New York City, right? Close by. And you're in New York City, and you're looking around. See these huge buildings, right? And you try and like look down. You can't even really see down, like, you know, more than a few stores. Maybe if you get on an intersection, you look down like maybe a few blocks. Ground level, that's what you see. It's a perspective. You start going up, all of a sudden perspective changes. You see everything actually how it is. So as you rise up, the perspective changes completely. You can actually see now down the street. You can see what's happening down and around. You can see where the cars are turning or where people are going. So as you go up, you gain perspective. It's not a coincidence that as we go up, we also gain perspective. Not a coincidence at all. I read a quote from um, this Bible scholar guy this past week. It's a pretty funny quote. It made me laugh a little bit. I was like, I would never write this. So this guy, his name is Matthew Henry. And you could read about him um, later if you want or check him out. Um, he's passed. He was alive a while ago. He says uh, he had his wallet stolen. Anybody in here ever have anything stolen from you? Car, wallet, whatever? Yeah. So... I'm just curious that when this guy wrote this, I wonder if like a long time went by or if this just came out right away. Because this came out right away, this guy is amazing. He's still amazing that he came up with this because I still would have never thought it. He says, let me be thankful first. That's how he starts off. He wrote down in his diary the day his wallet got stolen. He goes, let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. He goes, second, although they took my purse, they didn't take my life. He says, third, let me be thankful that although they took my all, it wasn't much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. That's a real deal dude right there. Right? Perspective. Oh my gosh, you know, I, I, uh, I remember when Julie had some stuff stolen out of her car, you know. It was a difficult situation to deal with. I wasn't like, oh, you know, I'm thankful. You know, I wasn't the one stealing. It didn't even come on my radar. But this guy like spends presence, spends time in Jesus' presence, and it just changes perspective. And it's to the point for this man, probably, where it's just such a habit for him, and he's just regularly, intimately with the Lord that it's like it's not foreign to him. It's just natural. It's just how he's living, part of his mindset. Now, verse 18, check it out. Now that he gets perspective, look what happens. And we won't spend a lot of time on the rest of this. Because we've got to take communion soon. Verse 18, he says, Surely you place them on slippery ground. Remember before he was the one that was saying, I almost slipped, I almost fell down? Right now it's like, no, 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 no. They're the ones that are slipping up. Like, it looks good. It's just smoke and mirrors. The enemy just has them busy and comfortable. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed? Completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes. So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. And that's what it was for them. Fantasies. They're getting a chance to do everything that they want to do apart from God. And... As far as Asaph was concerned, his mind was just running wild with 
fantasies. It's not like they're all healthy. It's not like they all never get sick. It's not like their world is all perfect. It just seems that way when you're sacrificing much and you see somebody else who's sacrificing little, if nothing, and it seems to be A-OK. It was just fantasies for Asaph. And he never would have realized it was fantasies until he came into the presence to get his perspective. Verse 21, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Right? That's how we get before God. God, what? You know, I gave you so much. I sacrificed so much for what you said. I gave you every... This is what the disciple says. This is what Peter and James and John and all these guys that came to Jesus and they said, Hey, listen. We heard that talk about what you said about it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into heaven. And they're like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. We left everything to follow you. Like, uh, you know. What's the deal here? Where's the payoff with this? And sometimes we can be a brute beast before God and let Him know how much we sacrificed instead of maybe paying a little bit of attention on how much He has given and how much He is working and how faithful He is. But it's just too easy for us to get to get like tunnel vision, our stuff, our situation, it's falling apart, I'm a mess, what do I do? Freak out. No. You know what I mean? It's just too easy to do that. And we get to be like a brute beast. Verse 23. Now he's getting back to what matters. Now he's getting back to the promises. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Do you see how this is just changing? The wording is just different. The attitude is just different. The approach is just different. Completely. Look at this. 26. Now he's really laying it out there. Refrigerator verse. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Boom! Wow! He's laying it out there. Bless you. He is laying it out there. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all of your deeds. It's amazing. So we go from this guy who was slipping, falling, consumed by what he saw, by what he was thinking, and he just wanted to be done with the entire thing. I mean, completely throwing the towel with God, Christianity stuff. Because of what he saw and what he was thinking. Then we have this powerful, perspective-changing moment when he gets around God's presence... And then from there, he's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Then the Bible verses start to come back. Oh, yeah, you are good. In all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. Right? 
And he starts thinking about, oh, yes, Lord, you were faithful way back when. Oh, God, I'm sorry. It is good to be near you. It is good to be your presence. I forget that you are God and your ways are just so far above my understanding. Sorry. Hopefully it's not important. Or maybe it is. You should take it. Um, But the perspective changes everything. And the presence of Jesus Christ does that. And it's a reality. Like, it's not just a thing that happened for Asaph. It happens for us as well. I can't tell you how many times. Seriously, I kid you not. I cannot tell you how many times I did not want to come to church. Countless. Two and a half years. Countless times. It's like, babe, I do not want to go. I do not. I am not happy about life right now. I am not very excited. I am not thrilled to be a Jesus follower. Hey, that's truth. That's like where it gets sometimes. When it seems like it's all crumbling. And then, uh, you know, in my situation, I'm like, well, shoot, i got to show up anyways. But, uh, you know, you still got to get there. Sometimes, like, just getting here is just a huge deal. Just a huge deal sometimes. But the enemy knows that. You get into the presence, the perspective changes. Maybe he won days one through six. But seven ain't guaranteed if you show up here. Or if a Christian shows up to church, wherever. Close with this one story. Check this out. I thought it was pretty neat. I don't know if you know uh, who this woman is. Florence Chadwick. Of course you know who she is. Florence Chadwick. She's a swimmer from the 1950s. Now you really know who she is. So this woman, uh, she uh, swam, crossed the English Channel in 13 hours, 20 minutes. Uh, she also crossed it from like England to France. She swam Lake Ontario. It's just crazy. So 1952, check this out. She's in the Pacific Ocean, so West Coast. She's on Catalina Island. And she's going to swim for about 15 hours. She wanted to swim to the coast of California. So Catalina Island, she wants to get to California. 15 hour swim. Yikes. So she starts swimming. She's going, that's my swimming. So she's swimming. uh, And it says that, as she describes it, cold, chilly, freezing waters. And it was incredibly foggy. Super foggy as she's going. So foggy that she actually could not even see other boats around. And um, there were boats that were next to her in case something were to happen. And her mom was in the boat too in case, you know, something were to happen. Um, There's also sharks in the area. So, like, they had the boats close in case something were to happen to her on her, in her own power or in case, you know, some shark or something else were to happen. So, it says that she was physically and emotionally exhausted. She begged to be pulled out by her mom in the boat next to her. She was just drained. You can imagine. 15 hours of that? What? Swimming, cold water, sharks, you can't see anything? So, her mom pulls her out of the boat. Come to find out, she was literally one mile from the shore. One mile from doing it and getting it done. Her quote, what she said, she said, all I could see was the fog. She said, if I think if I could have seen the shore, I could have made it. From her perspective, all she saw was fog. Little did she know, ah, you did the bulk of the hard work. You did almost, you're right 
there. But all she could see was fog. All she could feel was cold. All she could sense was fatigue. Here's what I really like about her. She goes for round two. She goes back out two months later. It was different. Same cold waters. Same thick fog. Here's what she says though. This time, it was easy because I kept a mental picture of the California coastline in my mind. Check this. As long as I didn't lose sight of where I was going, I could handle the trip getting there. As long as we don't lose sight as far as who God is, what He says, what He promises, we can make it to that other side. That's encouraging, isn't it? Makes me want to about cry. Because it's powerful. And I think it's so emotional because I know myself, and even know yourself, how easily I can get defeated. Measure strength in like so many other foolish ways. How much money I'm making, how much money we I mean, how much we can bench press at the gym, how many followers we got on whatever. Who cares? Right? We need to be in His presence to gain perspective of what's really important, what's really happening. Florence Chadwick had something when she says, as long as I didn't lose sight of where I was going, as long as I could see, I could make it there. This is where we gain perspective in church, around His people. So we got to stay in contact with it. we got to stay in our word. That's why it's like of utmost priority to try and just get along and just be with God. Might involve a time of just pouring our hearts out. Might involve a time of just being silent. Might involve a time of writing some stuff down. Whatever we can do. And when other brothers and sisters come into our mind, man, let's call them up. Let's text them. And let's pray for them. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a communion. Rob, you going to come on up? I'll set this back up for you. We're going to uh, do communion together. We have a song set up back there. If you would like to come up and uh, take communion. There you go. You just got to lower it. Um, if you'd like to come on up and take communion, we have communion up here. And um, hopefully we could uh, take this time and just reflect on Man, who he is and what he says. And what the real deal is. Because he dictates, he says what the real deal is. And he says it through his word, written, and he says it through his word, spoken. Yes, he does speak to us. The Holy Spirit does speak to us. So hopefully take advantage of that time. And uh, hold on to the elements when you grab it. um, And then uh, we'll take it together.